Where are you located, Trace? So, hey everyone, welcome. This is uh, episode 18 of the Decred Assembly, analyzing cryptocurrency past, present, and future. Today I have the privilege of having Willie Wu on the show. Again, my name is Trace, um, uh, representing Decred, and we're excited to get into it. I'm coming over from San Diego, and I'll give it over to Willie. Nice. Hi, guys. I've just arrived in Barcelona. I've been here about four hours, and I'm hanging out with my good friend Albert over here, who's heavily into crypto on the NEM team and um, apparently advisor for the nation of Andorra on blockchain. So I hope you to join you guys from a new location. Yeah, yeah and I appreciate everyone who's joining us live for your, for your patience. You know, he literally just got into Barcelona, and he was willing to meet with us, so... Thank you, Willie, for your flexibility in that. And yeah, we're excited to have you on the show. Before we really get into um, a lot of the, the nitty gritty stuff, just want to say that, you know, we were at Blockchain Expo this, uh, I think, two weeks ago now, and it was really successful. It was really great to meet a lot of you guys out there, and we had a great time. I think we had a, we had a booth, and uh, Jake was able to give a talk on Politea, which is the proposal system that's going to be coming online. So it was really, really fun. Um, Luke is going to be highlighting this a little bit more in the next Decred Roundtable show, so it should be pretty good. And then, if you guys were, um, if you guys had heard, we did have the launch party for the Politea um, in Austin last week, which was really exciting. And then they're actually going to be having the full event on the 10th of February, so that'll be kind of the conclusion of the contest. So definitely set that on your calendars and, and be looking out for for that. So should be pretty exciting. But um, yeah. And with that, um, you know, Willie, love to just hear a little bit more about your background in crypto. You know, I know you just got to Barcelona. So if you could just kind of outline a little bit of how you got into the space, you know, kind of where where you've gotten. Because I, I think that you, you're publishing Coindesk and I think on Forbes, uh, Brave New Coin. Yeah. Um, I My background's engineering. Of, I... I did my engineering degree, did a lot of product design, and then um, moved into startups by founding a company inside the early mobile space. So, you know, um, pretty familiar with trying to figure out a new territory when it hasn't been forged ahead, and I really enjoy that. And I mean, I was onto my I think, third startup, and um, one of our developers said, oh, look, Bitcoin broke, was it a billion or something? I'd never heard of this thing called Bitcoin. Um, it was around December 2013, it had $1,200. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I had no idea that it even existed, but um, I was familiar with investing in gold. So I just sort of sat down and thought, well, shit, if, if Bitcoin's got a scarce um, supply and if it reached anything like gold, and gold's like, what, it's 85% um, non-industrial, it's just it's scarce, scarcity, you know. It's just like people investing it because you can't make more gold easily. Um, I figured if $6 trillion gold was back then, if Bitcoin, 21 million coins were spread evenly, it would go to about half a million dollars. And I figured... Adoption rates, you know, the iPod took about, well, MP3 iPods took about 12 years to disrupt music. If I gave it 12 years, my, like, roughly $600 per Bitcoin investment should go to about half a million. I thought, oh, well, I might as well buy one Bitcoin in case that 
became true. Um, that was my, I don't know what really what I was buying, but I bought a Bitcoin. And then six months later, I happened to be traveling to Bali. Um, we moved the startup there to work on stuff. And it happened that there was a thriving Bitcoin community there. And so I was like, what is Bitcoin? Tell me what it is. What? It's software. You can update it. And, you know, I went down the whole rabbit hole for probably about the three months I was in there um and learned all about it and knew it was a disruptive technology so i started to invest more into it um but you know if anyone's run a startup you know that you don't have a lot of time so i ended up carrying on when i went back to new zealand to um work on the startup and then um last year um last year um 2016 our startup was going sideways so we kind of put it on idle and I had one year to get into anything creative that I wanted to. And, um, you know, I got back into coding and um, at near, by half of the year, uh, it was very clear that cryptocurrency was my my thing. And so I was sitting there at that time, I think in the Canary Islands, and um, I was going, all right, I'm going to research this stuff. And the first research project really was quite selfish. It was just... Um, if I've got all this data that's sitting out there, um, how am I best to, you know, invest? Um, what strategy should I use? So I just started sucking in a lot of data and running a lot of simulations, and I started publishing. And I guess that's that's when I started my blog and my Twitter account. And I guess, uh, yeah, um, it started from there, really. No, that's great. Yeah, and, and that's kind of where I, I had found you, you know, on, on Twitter, which kind of led me over to Woobull, which is your site. And before we get into a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff, I, I do want to just say, you know, none of this is investment advice, and so please don't treat it as such, but rather just kind of a survey of, you know, cryptocurrency and some analyses of it. Um, but yeah, do you want to go into a little more detail about your, your Woobull site, kind of, you know, what you've been publishing over there, because I, I know that most recent one kind of got into your talk that you did over in New York City. And so if you kind of want to talk a little more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, first I'd like to say to just refine what you're saying is that Woo Bull is called, you know, Woo, um, and then Bull, whether I'm bullish or this is all bullshit, you know. Um, and really I just said I'm publishing brain. Uh, so I'm not trained as an analyst. I don't come from Wall Street. Um, I don't. I don't have a data analytics background, so um, this was just experimental stuff. Um, I mean, I, when I understand something, I have a good way of publishing it and, and conveying that, but um, a lot of the stuff is just my um, my take on it from what I'm seeing in the data. And um, yeah, I mean, like I, I think uh, early on, I, I, I was very surprised how strong Bitcoin was. And I did a whole lot of stuff, you know. I, I did a the early early stuff was um, if I had Bitcoin on one side and I had a whole basket of altcoins on the other side, let's pick the top twenty and and do, did an index fund on the next um, next twenty cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin. Could they match? Because it seemed a basket of twenty currencies would have lower volatility. And since they're lower cap, they should perform higher. And it turned out they didn't outperform Bitcoin. So I became quite um, surprised at that. Um, but, you know, lots of little surprising things have come across, you know, I've come across. Um, but, you know, like now, I guess one year later, um, 
you know, I published a lot, and I think in CoinDesk there was, you know, the particular strategy I use. Um, I can cover that a little bit later, but you know, what I've I'm come to see is coming from the startup world is that, yeah, we're, we're just digitizing the world. Um, we're we're in the early stages, kind of 1996. If you call 1996 is 1% of the world using the internet or 1% of the world using cryptocurrency. And um, at least what I'm, with the research I'm doing with the Google Trends, well, probably nine years, nine and a, eight, eight and a half, nine years, it was done half a year ago, um, away from half the world using cryptocurrency. We're seeing kind of like a doubling every year. Um, inside crypto of user adoption. So it we're, you know, doubling away from 50%. So I'm seeing, even though Bitcoin looks very bubblish, I think maybe, yes, maybe it will retrench. Um, it probably has to take a breather, but um, we're 1% of the world. And given that adoption rate means putting money in, uh, we're just starting. We're really just starting. So I, for, for new guys, I don't recommend trading, um, timing it. I just think buy some, put it away, come back in nine years when half the world's using it, and you'll probably be happily surprised. Um, you know, um, By then, I would have expected cryptocurrency to have exceeded um, the majority of um, the fiat currency supply, um, at least certainly US dollars, um, unless something unforeseen happens, like, um, you know, nation states. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know how nation states can prevent the rise of cryptocurrency, but yeah, something unforeseen. There'll be a fight. Yeah, no, I agree. And <sighs> it is pretty wild because I think people are like, oh, I've missed the train on Bitcoin. I've missed the train on, on cryptocurrency in general or, or Decred, and it's not true. You know, there's hardly anybody even using it you know it's such an empty asset class we're going to look at it that way but just as far as just the technology blockchain technology overall you know the integration potentials are just starting to scratch the surface and hardly even that so it's pretty neat but one thing you did mention was just kind of how this is going to evolve into a currency you know because cryptocurrency implies that it's being used as a transacting tool and so one of the one of the posts that you did was kind of like the ten thousand year overview or ten thousand ten thousand year view of of currency and I'd love if you just kind of explain a little bit of what that's looked like kind of from you know when we started using money as a transacting tool to kind of where we are now and, and kind of where we will go yeah okay what you see cool um, I guess you know like we've used gold for money for a very long time I think before then we used seashells and all sorts of manner of things and I think there's been research to say that the original money was not just tokens but more a ledger, and the token with tokens were tokenizing um, the ledger. They were they were uh, they were keeping track, you know, in the village column, um, commons who owed what. And I think gold came about really at the agrarian age when we started to have our first settlements. Um, the the shiny things that primates like. <laughs> um, so. Gold's had this 10,000 year history of being worth something, and it's a little bit like Bitcoin, I think. It's a consensus agreed value, it's not by decree. And um, 
you know, somewhere along that line, um, more in the last 500 years, we've had, well, I guess, yeah, we've had more um, paper receipts trading for the currency. I think in, it, you know, China was one of the first to do that, but it really took off in the industrial age, you know, when we had our, our next revolution, which was the industrial revolution. Um, with a faster pace and more complex economy, it's a little bit harder to truck coins around, gold coins. And um, I think the paper money provided um, a lot more flexibility and they could change the conversion rate to gold so you could expand the money supply um, easily. Um, so, you know, I would say, you know, the, I look at these things as these major shifts in um, revolutions. You know, you went from hunter-gatherer type nomadic to villages and cities and that forced a change in currencies. But then you look at also the ruling caste went into royalties and kingdoms and empires, and you'll notice also that it shifted in the in going into the industrial revolution. We shifted from um, these empires and um, and kind of royalty um, controlled um, paradigms to nation states. So we've only been like three hundred years in this very strong nation state paradigm and this fiat currency um, sort of paradigm. And what, what I think is happening right now is since the 60s and 90s, of course, um, is this digital revolution. We're going from industrial to post-industrial, from industrial to a digital age. And it just makes sense to me that um, the form of money, when, you, when all of the structures of society now are turning digital, and if you look on Wikipedia, the top 10 companies, I think eight of them are internet-based, you know, Google's, Microsoft, Apple's, Amazon's. <coughs> one of them, I think, is a financial banking-type entity, and one is ExxonMobil. You go back 10 years ago, it was all industrial age and finance. So that shows you the paradigm shift. We're going into an industrial, uh, a digital powerhouse. And it doesn't make sense for me that paper receipts... Um, are going to be the money in the future. It's going to be internet native programmable money. And so I think likewise, the form of money is going to change. And I also think very probably, almost certainly, the, the form of governance will change. I, don't, I think nation states are going to have a hard time with this. People are saying nation states are going to shut down crypto. Sure, there will be a war. But I think that would be the same as royalty say, you've got to shut down those steam engines and those textiles mills. You, technology wins all the, all the time, every time. So I don't know how it'll play out, but I think that um, we're going to have a change in in the structure of how society is built and controlled. Um, and I see it localizing already. A lot of things breaking up, and I think city states and region states are going to be very important. And I think these cryptocurrencies and crypto protocols and um, that govern the protocols of Commerce are going to be very important, and maybe they'll be one form of governance bottom up of us as a united uh, as a dispersed global sort of uh, population voting on on um, on the protocols which govern our commerce, which I guess leads us to decreed. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> that's a great segue, and you probably did it better than I could have led up to it. So I, I appreciate that. And you know, it is it is extremely true. And I think kind of elaborating even more, you know, just in the simplicity, 
I guess this, the simple point of just being able to control your wealth is going to push things in this direction because the control on what you can and can't do with your money is becoming, uh, yeah, it's become more and more prominent because you have somebody else holding the majority of your funds, whether it's the government or the bank, which might be synonymous in some places that you're at, but having the freedom to be able to use it how you will without necessarily having the, the FUD that comes along with it that, you know, fudges the numbers and such. But yeah. And so that's, that leads us to our next point of, you know, what are the most important aspects to a cryptocurrency? You had mentioned kind of decred checking some of those boxes as far as, you know, wh what the cryptocurrency will lead into in the next few years. But I'm kind of curious, just taking a step, couple steps back, how did you find decred and kind of what, what stuck out to you about it? Ah, okay. Okay. I didn't actually find it. I was, referred to it. Um, I have a buddy. Um, actually, it was really interesting. While I was doing all this research, one of the first guys that approached me was this guy called Indy. Not his real name, by the way. Um, and he said, this guy, you know, he's a whale. And he told me all these things. And um, we stayed in contact. And I, I, he's he's got a gift for cryptocurrency investment. Um, like I think he's done something like between 3,000 and 5,000 X in the last three years um, through his own very smart strategic uh, strategy on trading and hodling, mainly hodling um, coin projects. And his, his method is really, you know, very much like a venture capitalist. He'll go in and he'll do immense due diligence. He'll... He'll contact the team, have a chat to them. He worked in a, I don't know, I think it was a Fortune 500 in their tech department. And so he'll just throw all the due diligence questions, you know, like um, all the processes you would require in a Fortune 500 company, he'd throw them at the team. And he'd say, like, they should have responses for everyone. If it's like, oh, I don't know, who thought of that? But some of these teams have re responded and they know even more than he does. And that's a really good sign, right? And that filters out a lot of a lot of teams. Um, so he'll do that. He'll even get down to reading the source code, look at the community, all aspects of due diligence. So that's how he's managed to do his three to 5,000X is to of the, the project that um, even when these things retrace 80%, he goes, oh, I'm gonna buy more because I know it's a solid project and the market doesn't know what they're, they're buying or selling. Um, but he does. So he recommended Decred. Um, and what I saw from the Decred was it had a very good community, had very, very good developers, solid developers. They weren't about the money. They were about the technology. Um, technology tends to win over community and hype um, and marketing and all these other things. I think it's one of the highest correlations to success of a coin project. And I really just liked it. I liked how... I particularly liked how um, it was not a fork of Bitcoin, yet um, it took all the best bits out of it on a new code base, much cleaner, and then they solved something new, which was the governance problem. And I think that particularly, um, yet to see, a lot of people think Bitcoin will get through, maybe it will, but I think if you have a governance layer that is... Um, already baked in, then you're able to scale faster down the track. Not now, because if it's slow, it takes all these votes. But when you reach scale, you'll. It's like the tortoise wins the race versus the hare over the long game. 
And so I'm quite interested to see where the cred goes over the long game. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, this is a very long-term investment, and, and we'll see where it goes. And I think it's still one of the highly undervalued um, coins in the top 40. I mean, I go down the list and I go, uh-huh, uh-huh, scam, shitcoin, scam, shitcoin. Oh, yeah, maybe. You know, and there's not many good projects in the top 40. Some of them are just hype coins. Some of them have listings in Korean or Japanese exchanges that give them liquidity. Like a fork of the cred with a float on a very liquid exchange with a lot of a fancy website and trading three times higher than the cred, right? So it gives you an idea of how undervalued this this code, this this community, this the development team. Yeah. So enough said. <coughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that was a great overview. And then just for those viewers who are checking in who don't know much about the project at all, highly recommend going to decred.org, checking out some of the um, different resources we have there. But just a quick breakdown, you know, it, the original, the developers of decred took Bitcoin C++, they, they took it bug for bug, put it in the Go language and implemented a proof of work, proof of stake hybridized program that basically is able to um, make the stakeholders, those who are actually holding Decred, able to participate in a voting system that allows them to vote on the different implementations on, um, on the chain. And so it's really neat because the proof of work miners are kind of like the service providers that uphold the network and the proof of stake miners are the ones who are voters, the stakeholders, need um, their tickets to be on top of the of the blocks that the proof of work miners are are actually mining in order for them to be valid. And so the block rewards are broken down 60, 30, and 10. So 60% goes to proof of work, 30% goes to proof of stake, and 10% goes to the development subsidy. So essentially it's a self-funded, self-sustaining project. And then the nice thing is too, the people who do have large positions as stakeholders are constantly getting diluted unless they're uh, replenishing their um, their position, which is nice because then you can, you don't have these mega whales over time as this thing can, can, continues to scale. It brings more liquidity because you have these proof of work miners who are able to, you know, who are compensating for their equipment, selling off some decred to compensate and then making more decred available in the market. And so it's a really neat system, um, but we're gonna get into a little more aspects of, or a little more of the aspects of what makes a cryptocurrency good. You know, what, what gives cryptocurrency value and so, um, I, I, Willie, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear just, we hit a little bit on that governance piece, but you know, what else is really um, essential for cryptocurrency to be adoptable and to actually have a, a, a use case, you know, to be able to scale into being used 10, 10 years down the road? Yeah, ultimately, well, I guess it depends on the, 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 the coin you are. Um, you know, if you're a store of value coin like Bitcoin, um, really, it just depends. It, it just requires a lot of um, adopters to hold the coin, and ultimately, um, you know, it's like the trace mayor sort of levels. You, you need the you need the store of value there. You need you need um, a lot of people trading the coin. You need liquidity. Um, once that's there, then um, you, once you've got liquidity, then you can get into the um, into the merchant adoption side of things, um, so there's that sort of path for for the um, 
the value coins, the, the store of value coins, the monetary coins. Um, and then, you know, you've got the protocol coins like um, Ethereum, EOS, which is projects built on your coin. Um, and I guess, oh, yeah, and another one, you know, Monero is the money use case, but also, um, you know, they're one of the few coins that have the fungibility, which in itself is use case because a lot of people, not necessarily nefarious people, but they value their privacy. So they will buy the coin um, and pass through to it just because they want the privacy. And, um, you know, like Monero is interesting because it's one of the few, um, like they say, um, you know, to build a really good coin, you need utility. Um, now, if you look at, you know, the top 40, no one really uses many of these coins. But I'll say, you know, that 24-hour trade volume, you could say a big chunk of that is utility because people are passing into it. Um, and when they pass it onto the blockchain, they are essentially valuing their privacy. And so that's, you know, I mean, I guess you've got these protocols that people are building apps on. You've got something like a Monero where they're providing a feature of a monetary coin, which Bitcoin does not provide. And then you've got the monetary coins, which, you know, it's that, that, that path of, um, you know, store of value, liquidity, and then payments. Um, so it, it depends on the coin. And, you know, with Decred, I saw it initially as a monetary coin, but I see it more than that now. I think that um, it wouldn't take much for it to be, well, it could be the Monero use case as well, because that's coming. And then it can also, it's, it's not a lot to build a scripting um, language in which you can build um, a platform from which other people can build on. So it can be all three, actually. Um, yeah, it could be all three, but it's, it's early. It's very early um, for Decred. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's, yeah, that's great. And that was definitely a good overview. Um, you know, but they're, they're just like you were saying, you know, the top, top 30, top 40 projects that we see, you know, if you go to CoinMarketCap, you know, a lot of them aren't necessarily doing anything new or don't have a lot of utility. And so, I mean, looking at like something like BitConnect or, you know, even Dash that have a lot of hype, but maybe don't have, you know, some of the, some of the backend things that allow it to function the same way as, <laughs> You know, more legitimate projects. I mean, how how do you process that? How do you how do you talk to people about different things along those lines? Um, well, I mean, I've been quite vocal about um, being negative over Dash, um, but Connect and Dash. I connect. I, I ran a survey just recently on Twitter. It's like which one has the most long-lasting Ponzi power, and Dash and BitConnect came up quite a lot. Um, but yeah, so so how do I say so how do I vet? The coins from yeah, no, no, just like how do you how do you process just the fact that they they do remain you know so hyped and people you know still consider some of these projects that are maybe like a little more illegitimate you know things like eight shares things like BitConnect you know Dash how, yeah. how do you how do you explain just like to to a new user why why that you know isn't something that they should be getting into? Um, <clears throat> I mean, what was Al Gore's um, inconvenient truth? He said. It's really hard to convince someone of something else when their paycheck depends on it. Anyone who holds these coins, particularly BitConnect, um, outright Ponzi, is that they're always going to convince you to jump on because they're going to be paid to do so. And so you just got to be careful because um, if you're the last person in, 
you're going to be losing all of it. If you're the first person in, it's probably a great investment, you know. So you got to make a call. If you're just if ethics aside, if you're gonna, if you're just return on re- income, say Dash or BitConnect, decide whether it's early or late, um, and decide how sustainable they are into the future. Something like BitConnect, I think, is going to be less sustainable because they're paying out, um, whereas Dash is sort of doing it more on their their um, proof of stake sort of returns. So that's more sustainable, and who knows, that could go on for a long time. So maybe it's a great investment, even though the structure of it in a very centralized manner um, this thing. And, you know, like Dash, for example, um, if you look on their blockchain, there's no actual activity. No one's actually using it other than in, within their DAO. You know, it's like here's this forty five percent of the the um from the new coins that are mined into existence. Forty five percent get voted, and then majority of the vote is projects that are going to shill their coin. So they're gonna sell the coin to other people um based on half of you know, what is what is forty five percent of the it's was it a hundred million dollars or something? I got a budget of promoting this thing. I think I think roughly it's roughly something along those lines. Yes. So yeah, they've got a lot of power to keep adopting people in. But I would say unless they get to the point where their blockchain starts filling up with activity, legitimate uses, um, you know, I mean, it, it does very much look, at least on the data level like a, a Ponzi scheme where all the budget's spent on getting more people in to buy it. Um, and then I would even say a lot of it has been on market making to push the price up. Um, so it just keeps going, but no one's using it. And so, I mean, that can't be sustainable forever. Um, you need to be something like Bitcoin where it's being adopted and used and merchants and remittances and, you know, um, you know, all sorts of <clears throat> notary, um, even layer two stuff that's coming. So, yeah, it, it can't carry on forever. Eventually, you, it becomes so disparate between the use of no one's using this, everyone's using that, yet the price is similar. Some fundamental investors are going to, get, are going to question that. And I think, um, you know, eventually the thing's got to stop unless they get adoption. You know, it could get to full adoption. I'm not saying it can't. Like, the current fiat system we're in is at maximum adoption, right? And I call that a pyramid scheme. So if you can, if you have a scam that is so all-encompassing, then sure, you can win and get adoption. So maybe that's a bit with some of these projects. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope not, though, for the good of um, the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I mean, obviously, everyone who's viewing, you know, do your own research and, and take a look. But you know, there, there's a shady, you know, back when Dash was Dark Coin, you know, there's a shady two million coin pre mine, you know, and with a, you know, even proof of work, proof of stake um, distribution of the block reward, you know, that that really technically there's a good chance that it never got diluted. And so you have someone with a very very large position that's being able to 
hold many master nodes and pretty much have their say in whatever they want in their proposal system in their network because their, their system of voting is a little bit different. You have to have a master node in order to vote on the Dash network, which requires 1,000 Dash. And so right now, I think, what is that? Close to $700,000, maybe a little bit more in order to yeah. have a master node to have any state in the network. Yeah. And it's just that that's not very equitable. I mean, that's that's a nice home for a lot of people, probably a mansion for a lot of people. And so, but those are the ones who actually have a say on what's getting implemented. And if you do look at the proposals, you know, a lot of it is just funding exactly what you said, you know, more shills, more, you know, marketing efforts to, to get more people in. But it's backwards because as it gets scaled, as it gets more adopted, the price continues to go up and it it makes it harder and harder for people to actually have a say in the network where, you know, in order for something to truly be adoptable and scalable, there needs to be a way for more people to have a say in what's going on. Because if you're a business owner and you're taking on transactions, you know, whether it's Bitcoin, whatever, you should have somewhat of a say on why different implementations are being, you know, put into the coin, put into the technology, because you have some skin in the game. And that's kind of why Decredit came up with their with their ticket principle, you know, having having an affordable ticket to cast your vote on different implementations on the network, which is Pretty neat, but um, yeah, that, that kind of leads into um, just some interesting ideas as far as uh, with that second layer. I think you mentioned with um, with Bitcoin. You know, as Bitcoin imp implements Lightning Network, it's going to allow for you know more rapid transactions. Decred is going to be implementing Lightning Network. That vote actually, that on-chain vote just completed uh, early or late last month, which is exciting for the foundations of it to have that second layer as well. And so how do you think that's going to change the game, having having a Lightning Network implementation on, on some of these coins? Okay. Um, let me get to that. I just want to finish my Dash bashing. <laughs> um, like, you know, you were saying the 2 million coins. I think last time I ran the numbers, and I even looked on the blockchain rich list, and it, it skewed against other coins. And it, it skewed in the same imprint of the original Instamine, um, that Instamine is enough to be 50% of the Masternode network. So very easy. This entire DAO is controlled by the Instamine, you know. And therefore, all votes and that 45% budget um, is controlled by this Masternode Instamine sort of collusion. Um, that's the other thing. When you have a, a coin where 45% of the, 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 the staking or the no the the subsidy the new coins brought into existence is is created and sent to the people who have the instamine that's crazy the rich get richer and then on top of that they say they're a um, privacy coin well when fifty percent of the master nodes are owned by one group of people it's not private anymore because other guys mixing your coins so it's it, I don't see it as either a governance coin or a private coin unless they have a new new distribution um, so the two things that dash is they don't do properly so this is where I go down the list and go no 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 they all have detract detractions that actually um, contravene what they stand for um, but yeah okay layer two um, layer two well, the question is what I think of it or yeah, just you know, Lightning Network, you know, is is going to eventually get implemented on on Bitcoin. You know, it's definitely coming on chain for for Decred. Just kind of what what that. And I'm not sure what your background is with Lightning Network, but just kind of how that will change the the transacting game. Because what right now, 
at least with Bitcoin, you know, one of the hardest aspects to it is just for using it to purchase like a cup of coffee is very inefficient okay. because a lot of times the fees are going to be even more than the cup of coffee that you would have purchased as well as the confirmation times are extremely long. And so it's not a very efficient transacting tool. Yeah, I think that um, primarily the main use for Lightning Network is atomic swaps between chains. Um, you know, when I first saw the Lightning Network on the crew, I was like, mm, I would have put privacy above that. Um, but, you know, the ability for this cross-atomic swap really makes, it's probably, I guess it's probably the first real major use case for Decred in that um, anyone with Bitcoin can hop to Decred, anyone with Decred can hop to Bitcoin um, or Litecoin. And so if there's a lot of merchants that are coming on board to take Bitcoins, which is what, 99.9% .9 of all merchants that take crypto, take Bitcoin, um, by Decred being on Lightning, um, and when Lightning starts to be taken on board by these merchants, which should be pretty quick, because why would you want to pay $20 fee when you it's next to free? Um, Decred becomes um, a useful currency to store and pay out of. So I think that, that's quite good. Um, it doesn't have the same, I guess, um, liquidity levels or... Um, the volatility is still very high on Decred. You want to back that, but I mean, I'd also say these younger coins have a longer term, um, like well, a higher trajectory over the long term than a more mature coin like um, Bitcoin. So it, who knows? If you're in it for long term and you're okay to spend a little bit of it, it sure, maybe, and you can wear a bit of volatility, then you, over the long term you'll win by owning something younger than Bitcoin that is, is a solid project. Um, and I think from my charts, I think the cred is gaining on Bitcoin over the long term. Um, you know, Bitcoin is on a more mature part of its trajectory. I call that Falcon 9 rocket trajectory. It was like steep arc and then it levels. And now very few coins have kept up with Bitcoin's early trajectory. But... Um, we don't have to. We just have to keep up with today's trajectory of Bitcoin. Not too bad. I think it's... I mean, I measured it a long time ago, and it was like 4.5x over six or four to six years per year. Um, and Decred's doing more than that. It's doing more than that. So it's gaining on Bitcoin. And a lot of these good quality coins, is another one that's gaining. Ethereum's gaining on it. NEM's gaining on it. Um, yeah. I mean, not month to month, but year on year, year on year, year uh, you are. So you know, it does provide this ability that you can go, I'm going to pack a, a pile of my portfolio in this coin, say Decred, and then I can spend out of it. Um, and you'll win. Like, and as an example of that is three years ago, I put $600 into my bread wallet. And Bali's one of the few places in the world where you can dine every day. A um, bunch of restaurants, really good restaurants, take Bitcoin. So I've spent, whenever I'm in Bali, I'm my minority of the year, but that's probably the country I spend a lot of time in, um, the island. Um, I'll, I'll dine and I'll pay by Bitcoin. And now, um, three years later, those $600 of Bitcoin, I've got much less Bitcoins in that wallet. 
but I think they're worth something like five to seven thousand dollars, right? So that's that's the comparisons. Like you you want to put a bunch of money into to create, um, and you want to you spend it um, at these Bitcoin merchants. Um, you'll expect that sort of trajectory, and it, over the long term, it should be better than holding in Bitcoin if you're willing to wear the risk and volatility. But that's that's the story of Young Coin. Yeah, no, I think that that's a great overview, and I think one of the things that kind of will help some of the volatility in Decred is the people that are participating in the staking do lock up their coins. You know, it's a little bit different than a master node. You know, Dash's master node, if you fall below a thousand dash, like you just lose your, your master node status where you're, if you're staking with Decred, those funds are locked anywhere between, you know, two days and about 144 days. And so there's, you know, I think on average about 40 to 50% of Decred that's locked up, which kind of helps a little bit with that volatility. But one thing I wanted to kind of get uh, get your thoughts on is just with the, the hashing rate becoming more and more centralized with Bitcoin, how do you kind of foresee some of the governance issues going forward? You know, do you think that's going to be, uh, you know, something that is difficult to deal with going going into the future with Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Um, being more centralized? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's a problem. It's a, certainly a problem. I think it's a very big problem. Um, you know, I was comparing this. I used to think, I used to think proof of stake wasn't so great because it was rich get richer. You know, who's got the most coin gets the stake and gets even more riches. Until I saw Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin proof of work checks and balances. But like, suddenly you go, well, here's Roger Ver with one to two percent of the coins theoretically, and look at the power he swings with Bitcoin.com. You got Jihan Wu. I don't think he's got 1%. I don't think he's like in the multiple billions of of dollars in Bitcoin holdings. But look at the power he swings by controlling the mining aspect. So you're telling me that um, one less than 1%, you know, these, these actors that have 1% of the coin or less um, can, can essentially more or less control or hold to ransom an entire network. You wouldn't get that in a proof of stake um, setup. So I, I've just gone the other way, which is I think proof of work produces um, areas which you can crux points you can attack with very little money, and you you screw up the entire governance of this checks and balance system. Whereas proof of stake, you need to hold a lot of coins, and the cred is like um, checks and balances between the two, so it's even better. Like even if my understanding is maybe correct me if I'm wrong is that if there was a bad actor within the proof of stake side, you can the proof of work miners can have some sort of say because they're processing the blocks. I haven't thought that through completely, but I think it's, it's it runs both ways. Yeah, it definitely runs both ways. You know, the nice thing is because the proof of work miners are having their blocks verified by the proof of stake miners. Those votes that the proof of stake um, participants or the stakeholders are uh, putting up are all pulled at random. And so even if they bought a bunch of tickets all at random, they wouldn't be able to necessarily influence a certain vote in the timing that they were wanting to, or it'd be extremely costly if they want to get into like one, the lead developer, Dave Collins, put together some statistics. They're a little bit outdated now that Bitcoin's price has kind of skyrocketed, but um, it's pretty cool. It uh, Basically, you would need roughly... Where is it? 
29% of the hash power and about 33% of the stake to, to really do something quite malicious to the network, which is uh, pretty cool. And on top of that, you know, that would roughly turn out to be about $12.5 billion. And so that's a, that'd be a very costly attack. And that, that's just what, what the market capital is right now. And so right. that, that's kind of the nice thing. But yeah, it'd be quite expensive to try to even attempt a, an attack on the Decred network as it is right now. Yeah, so yeah, I really like it. You know, you've got a governance layer which the whole coin rides on, but on top of that, you've got a very good resistance to to attack like this. Um, so yeah, I think Bitcoin. I'm not sure about it. Um, I think that Bitcoin's getting quite cemented now. I think on the base layer, it's pretty hard to change much, and everything's going to go on layer two as innovation, and maybe that's all that's needed. Um, Maybe that's all that's needed for a coin such as Bitcoin. On a base layer, it's solid, it's set in concrete, and then we move higher up on the layers. Um, anything needs to be changed in the base layer, then we've got a problem. And I think there is something that needs to be changed on the base layer, and that is it needs to be private by default. I mean, our whole internet is built wrong. It should be private by default. Instead, we encrypt and harden little tubes of data equivalently doing on Bitcoin it was like layer two would be privacy but the base layer is not so we're gonna be in a you know it's gonna be a tough win on that side um, and I don't think it can ever change whereas you know if you've got a governance coin and something moves sideways and you go oh we never saw that before we don't know didn't know about it but you know, when you've you can change the entire base layer through a consensus vote, um, it's a lot more flexible and I guess more survivable over the long term. It's more flexible. Um, you know, you can't adapt quickly. You're a dinosaur, and I think governance is one of those things that allow you to adapt. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're you're spot on, and you know, right now we're. I'm getting close to wrapping up the show, and so I'm going to take a couple of questions from the from the live chat. Um, but did you have any closing thoughts before we get there? No, no, that's that's, that's pretty much my stuff. Yeah, but. great. So um, yeah, looks like someone asked where do I get a Decred T-shirt. So there's a couple of places. CryptoGraffiti.com is one. Uh, Decredible.com also has a has some T-shirts off a of Spreadshirt, which is neat. We should be getting a more official merch uh, store that's coming. So be on the lookout for that. I know Decredulous is one of the community members is putting together as well. It's kind of in, in its infancy phases. So that'll be neat. Um, let's see. Uh, how would a Bitcoin crash affect Decred short and long term? <laughs> it depends on the type of crash. Um. <laughs> If it's a governance failure, like we had, we actually did have a near governance failure, and you saw the altcoins pump very highly as well. Um, yeah, it'll do well. Um, if it's a code-based failure, um, Decred should do well. If it's just a um, bear market, um, Decred would do probably go up against it short term, but long term, I think it might go down because most coins trade against Bitcoin. So if Bitcoin goes down, Decred will go down, and 
at least from the data I've seen, um, altcoins are just amplifiers on Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes up, altcoins go up higher over the long term, um, vice versa. So, yeah, um, it's, it's not a bear hedge. Um, Decred is not a bear hedge. No, it's yeah, a- I, I, would def- I would definitely agree with that. And again, you know, it's like if you're, if you're in the project for the long term, you know, the price itself doesn't, doesn't matter a, a ton in, in this stage of the game. Another one of the questions, uh, what are the challenges you think Decred is facing? I would say as far as the challenge right now, you know, we, we have a lot of solid tech that has been built in and, you know, the developers have been working, you know, tirelessly for almost two years now. But marketing and just overall visibility is definitely a, definitely a point that we need to grow in and are working on, you know, getting to more conferences like, block, you know, blockchain conference, you know, the expo there and just more conferences in the future, getting more visibility on the forums and just building, um, you know, this kind of a show to show kind of what, what the value proposition that Decred has to offer and helping people understand some of the more intricacies of the voting process, you know, having a, having a GUI kind of adapt to be even more usable so that voting and staking is even easier. So things along those lines, I, th- I think just the, usability is going to become easier and, and the less technically inclined are going to be able to find their home in Decred a lot, a lot easier going forward. I think once we see privacy implemented, the proposal system implemented, we have simple payment verification that's on, on, on the way. And then with um, the Lightning Network, that second layer, I think we will see some uh, a lot more eyes turning in Decred's direction, especially as governance starts to become more and more prominent on people's minds as they see um, hardships in other projects who has the power and the, the lack of decentralization in this, because I think that's the whole, the whole deal, you know, cryptocurrency is based on decentralization. And as time goes on and we see certain projects become more centralized, it kind of gives, you know, it, it kind of makes it clear, you know, which projects can we really put our hope in as far as actually accomplishing what cryptocurrency set out to accomplish. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I very much agree. I agree also, like particularly the marketing. Um, I really like this question because we've been kind of been on the decreed bandwagon. I guess it's the cred show, but I, I really like balance um, in, in, in everything. And um, the weaknesses of decreed, definitely marketing. I think the marketing side is not fully baked. Um, from what I know, I think, um, yeah, we haven't had a consistent... Um, like head of marketing that is empowered. Uh, I think the structure of Decred is very much core developers control the show and there hasn't been a lot of um, control given to the marketing just department. I think they've come and gone, which is even worse. Um, so that needs to be sorted. I think bring on someone who's very good and empower that person to do it. Um, and then there's another aspect no one's even looked at um well i think the decreed team have looked at it but haven't put much credence in it which is the economic aspect the um like if you look at every single coin down the top 40 i think i only know of two that do not provide liquidity they just about all coins have liquidity providers they are they've engaged particular entities to buy and sell to provide liquidity to the coin. So if you look at the trade volume of Bitcoin, um, sorry, Decred, it's ridiculous. Um, NEM's the other one I know that does not use market making. And their liquidity as a fraction of their market cap is crap. 
So if you're a whale and you want to plonk down and buy a lot, you'll drive the, the price 10, 20, 30%, and vice versa if you want to dump. So you're not very interested in these coins and traders aren't interested in these coins. And if you're talking about Decred being a monetary-based coin, which it started out as, and I think it still is predominantly, and you're not providing liquidity providers there, it's a terrible payment coin, right? So um, this, as soon as we have um, a proposal system, this is going to be my proposal, is to take some of the fund out of the, the DAO's budget and put it into a liquidity pool and provide liquidity. With liquidity, then exchanges will be interested. No one wants to list your, your coin if you're thinly traded because they can't make any money out of it. So always they're going to judge what I'm going to take you on if you're on the top volume. So we need liquidity providers, then we can have exchanges, that we, then we get even more liquidity until the point it's got organic liquidity and you've got actually a real coin that you can use for payments. So that's a major failing with, with um, the cred. And, you know, NEM is the other one. And if you look at the NEM chart, that's a multi-billion dollar coin that trades like a shit coin. Someone pumps it and it goes up, apeshit, and then it retraces over, it trades like a, a shit coin, and you don't want that with your coin. You want a serious coin with liquidity. And so I would say get some liquidity providers in, get an OTC desk, serious money, because you need, you need a lot of volume through this coin if you want to be a serious contender to be a payment system. Um, yeah, thank you for that question. I forgot to say that. Yeah. No, yeah, and it's and it's good because you know we're here to you know kind of show the good, the bad, the ugly. But you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there too, as well. Just with the um, with the proposal system, I think that's going to allow a lot more um, people who see those needs in you know in you know the the coin in Decred, for instance, you know like a a market maker to kind of be be available and making our own market maker, you know, with a proposal. And if you see different things that you want to see implemented in the coin, making a proposal and being able to do it in you know a very economically feasible way, I think is is really neat. And also just to have the dev fund that is you know sustaining the proposals that are going to be coming through. So once that proposal system does come online, I think it is going to allow for a lot more um, changes to happen a lot more rapidly, which is exciting, and have the community consensus behind it, not just a couple decision makers. And that's kind of the the beauty, and that's always been the vision of Decred is to be able to have people have a say in all these different implementations. And so, let me see if there's one more. Yeah, I think I think that's about it for now. So, yeah, I appreciate everyone who's been uh, been here live viewing, and everyone who does come across this video. Really appreciate it. Willie. I really appreciate your time. It's been a great episode, great insight. I really appreciate your wisdom on these things. And yeah, as always, if you guys have questions about Decred, definitely make sure to go to the Reddit, uh, the subreddit there. We have a Slack channel. We're going to be transitioning over to Rocket Chat. And so definitely be looking for the communications there. But yeah, we're going to be keeping a bridge open. But along um, all other lines, yeah, we really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Trace. Really enjoyed it. We'll look forward to the next episode as of your. Yeah, thanks again.